Zach. Hello, Jack. What's going on, man? Not much. Enjoying the weather. How about you? I have not yet ventured outside to enjoy the weather, but I'm enjoying uh, <laughs> the controlled climate of my house, which is really lovely, as always. Yeah, air conditioning must be nice. It is nice. It really is. Uh, I went through some time without it recently, so I can appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, anyways. I will be able to appreciate it like you in just a few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it a little bit less at the casino where they have it just like blasted to an you know, unreasonable degree. So this is a hand I actually played last night uh, at the Jack Casino 1-3. And it's a pretty typical 1-3 uh, table. No good players. A couple drunk players. Uh, most people doing a lot of limp calling. Uh, some people doing a mixed strategy of uh, limping and raising, and then like <laughs> a couple people just like never really playing any hands. <laughs> okay, well I'd watch out for those with the mixed strategy. What? It could be kind of tricky. I'd watch out for those with the mixed strategy. It could be kind of tricky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the uh, the villain in this hand didn't really have a mixed strategy. Although he had mixed it up a couple times, uh, so I've only ever seen him limp except for one hand where I can't remember if he—I th- think he three bet with queens, took it down preflop and showed. One other interesting preflop wrinkle is that uh, in the first round uh, on my big blind, he limped in the cutoff, uh, open limped, and then everyone folded to me in the big blind. Uh, and I opened with Queen Ten Offsuit. Uh, it's probably like at the bottom of my opening range there. But anyway, he three bets me, uh, which is weird. I definitely think a decent amount of the time he's just like this guy who doesn't like playing with young kids and you know wants to punish me. But I, I just. I fold it because I'm at the bottom of my range and out of position. Of course. Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is going to be like medium small pocket pairs and like ace king ace queen much more than like like aces kings queens but you know that being said that that range is still kind of crushing queen 10 yeah and people really limp re-raise fold even if they do it with like fives right so some more history in this guy since then uh i've seen him limp call a lot of garbage uh Hands like ace seven offsuit, uh, five six offsuit, so really not a strong range. And I've also he donks a lot. Um, now, I will say most of the boards he's donked at have been very weak, but he he's donked an awful lot. I've been in a couple. What do you pots mean by that? Where he he limps, someone raises, he calls, and then he. Uh, leads out uh, before the preflop, or instead of checking to the preflop raiser. So he's probably donked five out of six pots where he's had an opportunity to, uh, and they've all been on sort of weak, uh, low-card, not super-coordinated boards. Got it. Okay. 
and I've been in two pots with him where he donked into me, uh, and I raised him both times. One is like a semi bluff, and one is a value hand. Uh, and he f- he definitely folded once and came over the top the other time. Uh, I can't remember the rest of the details of those hands. Uh, they didn't turn out well for me. Did you? Okay, so you, whenever he came over the top, you lost the hand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you probably, to him, have, like, a bad image, like this is some young kid who's just getting too aggressive and playing too weak cards, you know, kind of standard fare. I don't know what he thinks about my preflop range because I went through a pretty long dead streak uh, that mm-hmm. I, I was sort of emerging from at this point when this hand I'm about to mention comes down. One other thing to mention is his donk size uh, has normally been like 15. Regardless of the pot size? Yeah. I mean, most of the pots haven't been very large. They've mostly been heads up. So like, you know, like two fifths to three fifths pot bet. Okay. Okay. So in this hand, uh, I'm starting with about 315 in front of me on the button. Uh, There's two limpers, including this villain. Uh, I have tens. I make it 20. Uh, that's pretty standard sizing for me at this table with two limpers. Um, yeah, just for the listeners real quick, like that might seem a little bit bigger than like, you know, what you might be used to doing. Like someone limps for three, limps for three, and then you make it 20. But, you know, as, as I always say, like in these spots, like, uh, in like a one, two or one, three game where everyone's really limp happy, you want to raise to a size where, you're hopefully going to like maximally punish people for limping too weak of a range. So you don't want to raise too big where they won't call, but you want to, you know, raise enough where they're going to call with most of that range. And especially if you, you know, if you're younger and kind of get that image of someone who rages limpers, even if you're only playing, you know, 15% of hands, uh, you could probably go a lot bigger than, uh, than you expect. Mm-hmm. Okay. So everyone folds uh, until this guy, uh, who I guess is in the low jack calls. Okay. Okay. So flop is jack three, two, two spades. And villain donks for 35. So hmm. I'm definitely not really considering a raise. I think... Uh, why? Why not? Because I think if this guy has a jack, I don't think he'll fold. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't thinking of raising as a bluff. You know, I was thinking of raising, like, for, for value. Like, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, my when I heard this action, I'm like, okay, I'm really only between calling and raising and probably going to call. But I think raising can definitely be valid if, you know, you think he donks with, like, a ton of pairs and might call a raise. Uh, I just don't think there's enough. I think he has enough jacks where... You know, the the value I get from raising his pairs that might call is trumped by the value I lose from getting called by jacks. Well, it's just, you, you know, you said he's donked like five out of six hands so far. So I would guess that, like, if he has, like, any pocket pair here, he might be donking, you know, donking any spade draws, you know, any jacks, and maybe even kind of just, you know, kind of like one-and-done hands. He's just planning to, like, donk bluff and then fold if you call or do anything 
I just don't think I'm getting a lot more value from the hands I would want to call. Like, I don't think he's necessarily calling his five sixes that often. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think it's it's definitely a call. Um, but I just think that's it's more between like you said, like I'm not really considering raising. Where I think I would, you know, mm-hmm. be much more inclined to raise than fold in the spot. Yeah, well, I think calling is probably the best option, which is what I did. Yeah, the, I think the I guess the one thing that struck me about this bet was the sizing. He bet 35, which is larger than he has in the past. Uh, it makes sense for metagame reasons, just because I've raised the last two donk bets uh, of 15 that he's made. So if he's sort of donk betting for similar purposes... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, I just think even given the sizing, you're just too far up in your range to fold to one bet, even for this size. Like, if he makes like a big bet on a turn and, and nothing changes, or really... I mean, even if anything changes, I'm probably folding the vast majority of the time. Uh, but especially in position, like I think you you really are only calling here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it would be a very exploitative fold, uh, and I, I don't think it would be right. So yeah, I called, uh, but I was definitely more wary of top pair hands than I would normally be. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I call turn is an offsuit five. So to recap the board, uh, we have jack three deuce, two spades. I remember the jack was a spade. Uh, and now an offsuit five. And the pot is about 110 after rake. Okay, and I don't think we talked about the effect of stacks here. He has me covered. He has a large stack. And and what do you have? Maybe you just said and I forgot. Yeah, I said I th- I have three fifteen. But uh, okay, cool. So so Jack three deuce five hundred ten the pot, uh, you know, SPR of two, two spades. Yeah. Okay, so villain leads out for thirty. Ah. Uh. <laughs> See, the funny thing is, you know, if he if he leads for like 70 or more, I'm just very comfortably folding here. Yeah, me too. You know? And then 30, it's like, well, do I raise for value? Do I just call? You know, I definitely, I give give this guy credit for the bet sizing, whatever he has, you know? Yeah, I mean, against our specific hand, it ended up sort of becoming a good bet size. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually planning on doing some analysis on like... You know, when do bad players with like sort of, you know, a type of mixed strategy end up, when is that a really good strategy and when is it not sort of by accident and how can you avoid those situations? Uh, But I'll I'll keep you guys posted on that analysis. Anyways, uh, with this sizing, I thought it was a lot more likely with his weaker hands. So I felt like, you know, I, I was strong enough against his range to call again. I... Didn't really yeah, consider I, raising as a bluff. Well, what about raising for value? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say I don't, I don't think raising as a bluff uh, would be correct with my hand. Raising for value, yeah. I, I mean, I just, I, I, I think when someone bets out like this, 
like big big on the flop, small on the turn. To me, I think that's heavily weighted towards draws um, and like hands with showdown value. You know, on the on the flop, he might be thinking like, "Hey, like this kid's always raising, or he's raising a lot. Like he's raised my donk bets. Like I'm gonna make a big bet. Like I have pocket fives. Like I don't want to fold." I have a pair, like, I'm just going to bet big and kind of hope he folds, even if that doesn't really make sense. And the turn, it's like, okay, he called. Uh, well, I guess not yeah, pocket fives. Yeah. <laughs> There's any of a set. But, you know, some kind of, like, smaller pocket pair. Um, and he's like, well, I don't really want to check because that's weak, and so I'm just going to, like, bet a similar size. You know, occasionally, like, you'll see someone, like, raise like this to, like, induce He's like, oh, he's like so aggressive. He'll just like raise me. But I think that's a pretty small percentage of the time. So I, I would, I would say, the range that I would give him on the turn, you're ahead of, definitely. So, I, I'm only really considering calling or raising. And it's just a question of, you know, in game, do you feel like he'll call with those hands? And I, I think I'm probably making like a small raise to like seventy or eighty. I think one thing I'll point out is that I think this guy's pre-flap range. Uh, has a lot more jacks than a typical preflop range uh, relative to the pocket pairs. Just because I think this guy is probably, you know, limping a lot of jack eight, jack nine, maybe some some offsuit combos. Uh, and so, and obviously stronger jacks. So I just think the amount of jacks, you know, relative to the small pocket pairs. Uh, in sort of air type hands or draws that he's betting is a lot higher than it would normally be, which is why I think raising for value is pretty risky. Because uh, I think he would play at least some of his jacks this way. I mean, I think he would dunk a lot of his jacks on the flop. Uh, I think this sizing makes me think he doesn't have hands like. King Jack, you know, Queen Jack. I can imagine this guy opening Ace Jack. I mean, I haven't been at the table that long. It's been like an hour and 15 minutes, so he might open some hands. But if he does uh, limp hands like Ace Jack, probably Ace Jack, he would bet more. Yeah, I agree. But I also think if his range is wide enough to have like Jack 9, maybe Jack 8 offsuit, I think then that range just has a ton of air. And we haven't really gotten a showdown enough with him to like know what he does. Right. Well, that's like, why. Yeah. That's why I called because I think that he has some sort of random bluffs sometime, some just sort of worse pocket pairs, some draws that he's going to be betting here. So I definitely think I'm strong enough uh, relative to his range to call. But I think to raise, uh, I'm just going to run into a lot of sort of weaker jacks here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is, like, we're kind of at a point where we just need to do a little bit of work away from the table. Uh, but my my kind of gut feeling here is that, you know, if I say that X percent of the time, even if it's still pretty low, uh, he's going to do this with, like, straight draws and flush draws. And then we, you know, give him a wide preflop range. I think it's still going to weight it where a small raise is best. But, you know, we could figure that out another time. I think it's definitely, like... You know, even though I think a raise is correct here, I don't think it's like that much higher uh, in expected value than a call. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, we should. 
take a look at some different ranges and see you know how draws stack up against jacks here uh depending on the assumptions we make yeah okay well last played i called so we're heading to the river uh with a pot of about 170 um and the river is a jack okay so any spade draws brick out and he checks so now i'm sort of deciding whether or not to value bet yeah, I mean, I think against the range that I was thinking of for him on the turn, you have to value bet. I also think that people, like, don't check-raise bluff on the river anywhere close to enough where you, you know, would even consider calling if you get raised. So I think I'm betting something small, not something, not like a fuck you bet, because we don't want to have to, like, call, like, a random spaz raise that he makes, you know, 10, 15% of the time. But the pot now is, like, 170 uh, I think I'm pretty comfortable betting like in the 50s or 60s because I think the, the you know, he has a lot of missed draws that he's just going to fold. But I think the range that we're really targeting here are like, you know, basically pocket pairs worse than yours. And yeah, he might call like 80 or 90 with like nines and eights and then fold like fours and sixes for worse, uh, for, for lower. But I think like, you know, in the 50s or 60s kind of guarantees, you know, calls from random fives, pocket fours, uh, and maybe the occasionally is high. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, so I bet 50. I, I agree with your analysis, and I, I had the same sort of range in mind. Uh, I also think part of why betting 50 makes sense here, not, I think it makes sense from just a basic game theoretical uh, standpoint. But I also think, you know, even betting something like 90, which is just slightly over half pot, would stick out more just because of the, you know, relative size of the bets that have been being made. Yeah. Uh, And I I think players are more aware of relative bet sizes than they are of uh, the size of the pot. 100%, yeah. Um, so I bet 50 and villain thinks for about five seconds and raises to 150. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a very easy fold. I think kind of like the, you know, people don't bluff enough in live poker. So like, you know, if you think about the odds, he's giving you a call and figure out the percentage, like if he's balanced that he should be bluffing. I think until you have a ton of information on a player, it's basically, you know, always okay to exploitably fold all of your pure bluff catchers, which is what you have in the spot. I agree with you. Uh, I'd like to tell you that I did fold, uh, but for the sake of, you know, the podcast and providing more information, uh, I did end up calling. Uh, I didn't need... A ton of equity to call only need to be right uh, about like 27% of the time. But I think that's still too high. Uh, What I had in my head at the time was the limp re-raise. Thinking that this guy thinks I'm overly aggressive uh, just because of, you know, the way I look. But I still think he has a lot of 
he's going to play a lot of his jacks like this. And it's just, you know, one thing is sort of some strange preflop aggression. I think, though, that, you know, a river check raise, I just have to, you know, fold, yeah, fold all bluff catchers in the spot. Yeah, I mean, I think especially, like, you know, for our listeners that are more 1-2, 1-3 players and 2-5, like, you know, just always fold your, your pure bluff catchers. Uh, and honestly, the vast majority of the time, fold your bluff catchers with blockers too. <laughs> because people aren't bluffing enough. Uh, the only the only times when I think it's, you know, really okay to bluff catch a river bet um, is when, you know, you've seen someone make big bluffs or big, even more rare, big check races on the river before, got the showdown or, you know, they're like, you're good. Uh, because it just happens so rarely. Uh that I think it's just much more profitable um, to just kind of fold all your bluff catchers. And, you know, it's, it's making me think of this line. I, I forget where I, I heard it or read it in. But, you know, people that don't get bluffed at like 1 2, 1 3, 2 5, these players are not winning players. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I think that's, that's wise. Uh, you know, I think part of part of why it's tempting to call in a place like this is because the types of hands that he would want to check raise for value, uh, I think are probably not great hands to check raise for value because I don't think he has very many, very much ace jack, king jack, queen jack. Whether or not you think I have jacks in my range at this point, uh, I think I probably do. Yeah. Um. But he's not, he's not thinking that yeah, way. So he's, he's not thinking, thinking that, I, I right. want to trap him. I want to trap him. Right. Uh, okay, so I called, and he had jack nine, and I uh, quietly mucked my hand. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I felt, think, felt pretty silly about it. Yeah, and I think jack nine's consistent, you know, yeah. with kind of our range analysis and that, like, that's kind of the top of his range for what he's betting 30 on the turn. Right. Yeah, I think uh a month away from the table traveling, uh it took it took another one of these to remember that you just don't <laughs> yeah. you just don't so, pay off recreational <laughs> players in these spots. So here's something that I've been doing for the last uh four months and shout out to our frequent guest and friend of the show, Brent Jenkins, for cluing me into this. It's a hero call spreadsheet that I have in Excel that I could access on my phone. And it's basically whenever I make a hero call, it's like a pure, you know, you know, basically just bluff catching. Um, I write down the odds that I was getting to call and I write down if I was correct or not. And, you know, I think what this does is it incentivizes me to hero call even less than the little bit that I was already doing. Because when you go on your sheet and see that most of your hero calls were wrong, even when you're getting good odds, it's like, okay, you know, I intellectually know hero calling isn't good enough, and now I'm like looking at a document where I've lost hundreds or thousands of dollars hero calling. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's definitely like kind of, you know, how you can really take your game to the next level and like, you know, be able to make like 15 big blinds an hour at one, two, or two, five. It's like really making these exploitive folds most of the time. And I think a lot of the like regulars at a casino, whether they're like, kind of like fully retired, half retired, kind of retiree regs or 
you know, people that just play really frequently that kind of understand, you know, all the basic poker concepts pretty well. I think it's spots like these that like kind of really differentiate being like a break even, slightly winning player to like, you know, being able to make some serious money from the game, just kind of occasionally making these calls uh, or like making the big mistakes occasionally is what I think really adds up. And I would imagine that a lot of our listeners are kind of in that like demographic, like, you know, you're, you know, thought, thoughtful players, even if you don't play kind of like for profit or play as a living, like, you know, you want, you want to make money from playing poker. And like a lot of the fun of playing poker comes from like making good decisions. Thanks for that, Zach. Uh, just two things to add. One note about the hand. I just realized that uh, the pot odds I needed, I gave myself were wrong. Uh, it was actually a little bit lower. I would need about uh, like 22% equity in this spot. Still think it's a fold, but I guess it was slightly less bad. And the other thing is, you were talking about never bluff catching, uh, or very rarely bluff catching. Mm-hmm. Um I think one I think one clear exception to that uh are boards where the betting is really consistent with a draw and all the draws brick out. Uh, Definitely. And I'm speaking mainly towards river uh river play. Like I again, I think there is a big exception like on those boards on the river with what you're saying, but you know, there's some players who see bet 100% of their range, you know. So like bluff catching on the flop or even sometimes on the turn, to me, is very different than the river. Yeah, I, I agree. Now I, now I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, okay. So it was $100 mistake. Fully save save hundreds or thousands in the future. Write this in your spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you can call it a $100 mistake. Uh, I guess it's not a $100 mistake. It's a $100 mistake if he's never bluffing. It's like a $90 mistake. <laughs> I don't know. But it's a mistake, I think. I mean, I, I, I definitely think it's a mistake, but uh, I think it's probably more like a $40 mistake. Okay. Which, you know, I still don't want to light $40 on fire. Uh-huh. All right. Until next time. Till next time. And yeah, any, you know, we're always looking for hands. Uh, kind of a few weeks ago, we got a ton of, ton of listener hands. Some of them were tournament hands. Um, and we're always looking to discuss listener hands on the podcast. So if you have any, you know, cash game hands, no limit, or even a PLO hand, uh, write us in and we'll be happy to at least write you back and hopefully discuss on the podcast. Yeah. And another thing is we've been getting, uh, we've been getting some questions and comments about, our discussions on the podcast uh, by email, which is awesome. Uh, but also, remember, you can go to the blog and look at the uh, the episode in discussion and leave comments there uh, and have a more public forum type of discussion, uh, which can also be nice to get some extra listener reviews and not just... Hey guys, Jack here real think. quick. Sorry that this week's Preach. episode came a day late. Uh, we'll try and stay on deadline in the future. Uh, Zach and I are looking up for a way to make it up to you guys, so hopefully sometime over the weekend. Uh, maybe that'll be in the form of an extra podcast or a blog post. Uh, but either way, just you can keep tabs on us uh, at our Twitter, Just Hands Poker, or Facebook. Uh, 
And we'll make an announcement of whatever we plan to do uh, over those mediums. And at the very latest, we'll see you next week. All right, until then, be well.